Namaste Saraswata Deve Gauravani Pracharane Nirvashesha Shunyavadi Pastatele Shatarane Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Reading from Srimad Bhavan Canto 10 Chapter 75 Verse 1 Shri Rajovacha Ajata Satros Tamdrisva Raja Suyamahodayam Sarve Mamudi Re Brahman Nradeva E Samagataha
Shri Rajavacha. King Parikshit said, Ajata Satro of Yudhisthira, Tam, that, Dristva, seeing, Rajasuya, of the Rajasuya sacrifice, Maha, the great, Udayam, festiveness, Sarve, all, Mumudire, were delighted, Brahman, O Brahman Asukadev, Nradeva, kings, ye, who, Samagata, assembled. Translation Maharaj Parikshit said, O Brahmana, according to what I have heard from you, all the assembled kings, sages, and demigods were delighted to see the wonderful festivities of King Ajatasatru's Rajasuya sacrifice, with the sole exception of Duryodhana. Please tell me why this was so, my lord. Sri Bhadarayani said, At the Rajasuya sacrifice of your saintly grandfather, his family members, bound by their love for him, engaged themselves in humble services on his behalf. Report King Yudhisthir did not force his relatives to accept different tasks at the sacrifice, rather out of their love for him they volunteered for such duties. Bhima supervised the kitchen. Duryodhana looked after the treasury, while Sahadev respectfully greeted the arriving guests. Nakula procured needed items. Arjuna attended the respectable elders, and Krishna washed everyone's feet, while Draupadi served food, and generous Karna gave out the gifts. Many others, such as Yuyudana, Vikarna, Hadikya, Avidura, Burisarva, and other sons of Balika and Santardana, similarly volunteered for various duties during the elaborate sacrifice. They did so because of their eagerness to please Maharaj Yudhisthira. Oh, best of kings. After the priests, the prominent delegates, the great saintly saints, and the king's most intimate well-wishers had all been properly honored with pleasing words, auspicious offerings, and various gifts as remuneration. And after the king of Chedi had entered the lotus feet of the lord of the Sattvatas, the Avabrita bath was performed in the divine river Jamuna. Purport, the gifts offered to the distinguished persons included valuable jewelry. During the Avabrita celebration, the music of many kinds of instruments resounded, including Bardangas, conchels, panavas, uh, dunduris, kettle drums, and gomuka horns. Female dancers danced with great joy, and choruses sang while the loud vibrations of Venus, flutes, and hand cymbals reached all the way to the heavenly region. All the kings, wearing gold necklaces, set off for the Jamuna. They had flags and banners of various colors and were accompanied by infantrymen and well-adorned soldiers riding lordly elephants, chariots, and horses. The massed armies of the Yadus, Srinjayas, Kambojas, Kurus, Kekayas, and Koshalas made the earth tremble as they followed Yudhisthira Maharaj, the performer of the sacrifice, in procession. The assembly officials, the priests, and other excellent brahmanas resoundingly vibrated Vedic mantras, while the demigods, divine sages, pitas, and Gandharvas sang praises and rained down flowers. Men and women, all adorned with sandalwood paste, flower garlands, jewelry, and fine clothing, sported 
uh, by smearing and sprinkling one another with various liquids. The men smeared the courtesans with plentiful oil, yogurt, perfumed water, turmeric, and kumkum powder, and the courtesans playfully smeared the men with the same substances. Report Srila Prabhupada describes this scene as follows. The men and women of Indraprastha, their bodies smeared with scents and floral oils, were nicely dressed in colorful garments and decorated with garlands, jewelry, and ornaments. They were all enjoying the ceremony and they threw on each other liquid substances like water, oil, milk, butter, and yogurt. Some even smeared these on each other's bodies in this way. They were enjoying the occasion. The professional prostitutes were also engaged in juvenilely smearing these liquid substances in the bodies of the men, and the men reciprocated in the same way. All the liquid substances had been mixed with turmeric and saffron, and their color was a lustrous yellow. Surrounded by guards, King Yudhisthira's queens came out of their chariot on their chariots to see the fun, just as the demigods' wives appeared in the sky in the celestial airplanes. As maternal cousins and intimate friends sprinkled the queens with liquids, the ladies' faces blossomed with shy smiles, enhancing the queen's splendid beauty. Purport the maternal cousins refers here to our Lord Krishna's uh, Lord Krishna and such brothers of his as Gada and Sarana, and the friends mentioned are such persons as Bhima and Arjuna. As the queen squirted water from syringes at their brothers-in-law and other male companions, their own garments became drenched, revealing their arms, breasts, thighs, and waists. In their excitement, the flowers fell from their loosened braids. By these charming pastimes, they agitated those with contaminated consciousness. Purport, Srila Prabhupada writes, such behavior between pure males and females is enjoyable, but persons who are materially contaminated become lustful. The emperor, mounted upon his chariot, drawn by excellent horses wearing golden collars, appeared splendid in the company of his wives, just like the brilliant Rajasuya sacrifice surrounded by various rituals. King Yudhisthira with his queens appeared like the personified Rajasuya sacrifice surrounded by his beautiful rituals. The priest led the king through the execution of the final rituals of Patni Samjaya and Avabritya. Then they had him and Queen Draupadi sip water for purification and bathe in the Ganges. The kettle drums of the gods resounded along with those of human beings, demigods, sages, forefathers, and humans all poured down showers of flowers. All the citizens belonging to the various orders of Varna and Ashrama then bathed in that place where even the most grievous sinner can immediately be freed from all sinful reactions. Next, the king put on new silken garlands, uh, garments and adorned himself with fine jewelry. He then honored the priests, assembly officials, learned brahmanas and other guests by presenting them with ornaments and clothing. Her portion of Prabhupada writes, the king not only dressed himself and decorated himself, but he also gave clothing and ornaments to all the priests and to all others who had participated in the yagyas, and this way he worshipped them all. In various ways, King Yudhisthira, who had totally dedicated his life to Lord Narayana, continuously honored his relatives, his immediate family, the other kings, his friends and well-wishers, and all other others present as well. All the men there shone like demigods. They were adorned with jeweled earrings, flower garlands, turbans, waistcoats, silk dhotis, and valuable pearl necklaces. 
the lovely faces of the women were beautified by their matched earrings and locks of hair, and they were they all wore golden belts. Then the highly cultured priests, the great Vedic authorities who had served as sacrificial witnesses, the specifically invited kings, the brahmanas, khatriyas, vaishyas, sudras, demigods, sages, forefathers, and mystic spirits, and the planetary chief planetary rulers and their followers, all of them, having been worshipped by King Yudhisthira, took his permission and departed, O king, each for his own abode. As they all glorified the wonderful Rajasuya Yagya performed by that great saintly king and servant of Lord Hari, they were not satiated, just as an ordinary man is never satiated when drinking nectar. At that time, uh, Raja Yudhisthira stopped a number of his friends, immediate family members, and other relatives from departing, among them Lord Krishna. Out of love, Yudhisthira could not let them go, for he felt the pain of imminent separation. My dear Parikshit, the Supreme Lord remained there for some time to please the king, uh, after first sending Samba and the other Yadu heroes back to Dwarka. Thus, King Yudhisthira, the son of Dharma, was at last relieved of his burning ambition, having by the grace of Lord Krishna successfully crossed the vast and formidable ocean of his desires. Purport, the previous chapters of Srimad Bhagavatam clearly explained that King Yudhisthira intensely desired to demonstrate to the world the supremacy of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and the blessings received by those who surrender to him. To do this, King Yudhisthira performed the Rajasuya sacrifice, a very difficult task. Siddha Prabhupada writes in this connection, in the material world everyone has a particular desire to be fulfilled, but one is never able to fulfill his desires to his full satisfaction. But King Yudhisthira, because of his unflinching devotion to Krishna, could fulfill all his desires successfully by the performance of the Rajasuya sacrifice. From the description of the Rajasuya Yagya, it appears that such a function is a great ocean of opulent desires. It is not possible for an ordinary man to cross over such an ocean. Nevertheless, by the grace of Lord Krishna, King Yudhisthira was able to cross over it very easily, and thus he became free from all anxieties. So, all these verses are describing uh, not actually the sacrifice, but after the sacrifice when uh, they bathed, uh, and uh, celebrated in various ways. And then finally, after all of this, uh, everyone departed except a few persons like uh, Krishna. So, uh, all of this is leading up to the explanation of how uh, Duryodhan was dissatisfied. So here we find a description of everybody being very happy and celebrating and joyous and satisfied. Uh, but Duryodhana was not. <laughs> so this is a, a, a prelude to, the, uh, to show the opposite nature of Duryodhana. We see here that all the great sages and the devatas and protectors of the directions and everyone was completely uh, overwhelmed by this uh, celebration. And they participated in it with joy. And they honored Yudhisthira uh, because he was a devotee of Krishna. Uh, uh, so naturally, everyone should be joyous. Uh, only Duryodhana 
was not joyous. He was completely the opposite. So as described previously, he was the personification of Kali, uh, which means uh, very, very sinful, and he represented all of the evil forces. Uh, Krishna appeared in the material world to annihilate the demons and uh, restore Dharma. Uh, so one of the main persons was Duryodhana. We can say another one was Jarasandha, who was just previously killed. Uh, and another is here, Duryodhana. Uh, so, uh, very formidable opponent. So naturally, uh, it will manifest uh, the worst aspects of the human being. Uh, we see the opposite here with the description of everyone uh, celebrating and uh, honoring Yudhisthira and Krishna. And then we find Duryodhana who is exactly the opposite. Uh, uh, so it points out the uh, nature of Duryodhana in comparison to many other persons who were uh, present there. So, uh, 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 this last verse uh, states that uh, Yudhisthira was finally satisfied. Uh, he crossed the ocean of his desires, huh? uh, which means that Generally, people's desires are never satisfied. Some people have less desires, some people have more desires. But even if they try to satisfy their desires, not completely happy with that. And that's the nature of the material world. Uh, desires are never satisfied, and we keep having new desires. And for this purpose, everybody remains in the material world birth after birth. So in each lifetime, a person has different desires, and he does activities to fulfill those desires. But then he takes another birth, and he has more desires. And again he works to fulfill those desires. And then he has another life, and again he tries. So it means his desires are never fulfilled. Uh, somehow he's not satisfied with his fulfillment of his desires in one lifetime, and he goes on to get more desires and tries to fulfill them next lifetime. Often, of course, the same desires continue life after life. And basically, it's eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Those desires. Everything related to that. And again, in life after life, they have the same desires, do similar activities, get similar results, not satisfied, go to the next life, do the same thing again. Huh? So this is, this is the uh, problem of the material world. Not completely satisfied, so we take birth after birth after birth after birth. Huh? So, one can stop that process of birth and death by stopping the desires. But stopping desires is very difficult to do. Huh? So the jnanis and the yogis try to stop all the desires. And if they succeed, then they enter into the state of Brahman, no more desires. And they're free of karma. So they stop the process of birth and death. Uh, uh, but uh, we see that uh, very difficult to do uh, because the nature of the jiva is to have some desire. Uh, his very nature is to perceive things and to do things. So uh, naturally desire is connected with that perception of things and seeing objects and doing things. We have to have some desire. 
very, very difficult to give up these desires in the material world. Uh, nevertheless, it is possible to give up material desires. Uh, and that's exactly what the jnanis and yogis do. Uh, in the process of bhakti yoga, uh, uh, we are instructed not to give up desire, but to change the desire. Uh, that is also a little difficult to do, but it's easier to do than stopping desire completely. Uh, so, change the desire uh, not from material objects, spiritual objects. Uh, but if you change your desire to spiritual objects, then something else also has to change, and that is you cannot try to enjoy those objects for yourself. It's no longer a spiritual object if you try to enjoy it for yourself. It's a material object again. <laughs> so, therefore, we can use even material objects, and if we employ them for Krishna's enjoyment, no longer material. And they do not create a problem for us. Rather than creating more desires and less fulfillment, it stops material desires, destroys material karma. Huh? Uh, so this is uh, the process of bhakti. Huh? By uh, directing desire to Krishna for his enjoyment, we stop material desires, we stop karma, and we can end bondage in the material that way. Huh? But more than that, by doing this, we uh, become completely satisfied. Well, and uh, therefore, uh, when we're satisfied, we don't desire to enjoy material objects at all. Now, in one sense, uh, the devotee is satisfied, as we see here with Yudhisthira, but we'll find in the descriptions of the devotees, sometimes it says the devotees are never satisfied. <laughs> because even though they, they, they drink the nectar of serving Krishna, they want to drink it more and more and more. So in that sense, not satisfied also. So in other words, they continually have desires in the spiritual world to serve the Lord more and more. So uh, this, on the other hand, is not uh, a bad quality. Uh, uh, this is something intrinsic to the spiritual world. Uh, uh, that uh, desire and bliss continually increase in relation to satisfying Krishna. Hmm. Uh, so uh, this type of uh, satisfaction and dissatisfaction are continually there. Uh, but from another point of view, of course, the devotee in the spiritual world is completely satisfied. Uh, the Atma is satisfied. In the material world, the Atma is not actually satisfied. Uh, the Atma is not getting anything, really, uh, because material objects have got nothing to do with the Atma, which is spiritual. No contact at all. Yeah. So, the only satisfaction is uh, it's like a dream. <laughs> that is, the jiva identifies with the material body and a material mind, and then the material body and the material mind think, I'm getting satisfied. Huh? Uh, so that gives rise to the, the happiness in the material world. Huh? 
So uh, sometimes scientists, brain scientists, they say, okay, you've got your brain here or whatever. They put electrodes on your brain or something, and they find out where the happiness section is. So they stimulate that section. You can just be happy. You don't have to eat. You don't have to, just stick a little electrical pulse in that part of your brain, and then you're very happy. You just sit there happy all the time. <laughs> so that, that's a material mechanism for material happiness. In other words, uh, the, 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 the brain thinks I am happy caused by certain chemical reactions. So that's what material happiness is. And uh, different chemicals are released at certain times and then uh, when you eat or whatever, and then you feel happy. That's what we call happiness in the material world. So it's a bunch of chemical reactions with the nervous system, basically, in the brain. That's what happiness is in the material world. It's nothing to do with the Atma at all. Atma's sitting there, but nothing is happening to it. The only thing is that it identifies with the body, so therefore even Atma thinks, oh, very nice. <laughs> but nothing actually for the Atma at all. It's only through misidentification. So in that sense, it's like a dream. In a dream, you experience many things. You wake up and say, oh, that was just a dream. But in the dream, you're identifying with completely. So, uh, and that, that's how the Atma relates to the experiences of the body in this material world. It's also like a dream, but he never wakes up. Yeah? You never wake up from that dream. Huh? Life after life after life, uh, one continues uh, with this conception, I am so-and-so body, etc. Huh? Yeah. So, not satisfying, materially speaking, because... Uh, the nature of these chemical reactions is eventually you get tired of them and then you got to get new stimulus. <laughs> so, uh, and then on the other hand, it's not satisfying to the soul. So, uh, this is purposely arranged by the Supreme Lord. You cannot ultimately be happy uh, in the material world. When a person realizes that, then he begins to question his existence and he looks for something else. Uh, so that becomes, if we uh, follow the uh, uh, guidance of uh, the uh, scriptures, then uh, we get good guidance and we begin to understand we're not the body, we're the soul and Supreme Lord, etc. Uh, so the whole purpose of material life is to make us reject it, ultimately. So that is also the purpose of karma yoga, is to elevate you to a position where you reject the world. That is in sattva gun. So when you get to sattva gun, one of the qualities is that we become aware that we're not the material body anymore. And then we pursue jnana. Uh, uh, we consult scripture and we understand we're not the body at all. And we go for getting out of the material world, liberation. So in this way, uh, there's an arrangement in the material world which is refined through karma yoga to get us more efficiently to that position where we begin to question uh, the usefulness of the material world and then we take to spiritual life. And then, after we get to spiritual life, then we need good direction also. So therefore the scripture gives us directions on uh, progressing up to bhakti yoga and then getting prema. Huh? So, through all these processes, eventually the jiva can get real satisfaction. 
is not the satisfaction to do with the body, etc. It's the satisfaction of the Atma in relation to the Supreme Lord. Huh? So this is the satisfaction that Yudhisthira got. He did not get the satisfaction from performing a sacrifice to get honors for himself. His satisfaction was pleasing Krishna and demonstrating uh, how Krishna was Supreme Lord and how if you serve the Supreme Lord, uh, you get everything. Uh, so that was the ambition of Yudhisthira and it was demonstrated here uh, by the uh, Rajasuya sacrifice in which Krishna participated in and, uh, and uh, finally Krishna actually stayed with Yudhisthira after that point for several months also so he was completely at, under the control of Yudhisthira so uh, in this way uh, there is satisfaction uh, only by taking to spiritual life Desires. Can we see the desires of the products of the mind? Because my one is, they say, mono We must kill the mind desire. We see the change in direction of the Still, desires will remain. Uh, there is, we should not think, however, that the soul does not have desire also. So because the soul has desire for his own enjoyment, he gets the mind and the subtle body and the gross body to enjoy. So it's not that the soul is free. And, oh, nothing, the soul is innocent. He didn't do anything. <laughs> no, the soul has a desire is Bahirmukha. It's turned towards material energy. That's not the mind, that's the soul. Bahirmukha Jiva is the Jiva, not the soul. Huh? Uh, so the Jiva has a desire to get his own enjoyment. And so he tries to get that from the material world. So there is desire in the Jiva also. You can say the the, the, the jiva gives the seed desire that expands into many ways in the mind, life after life, new, new, new desires. And of course, it expands as you go up the species. So uh, small animals or plants, very limited desire, how we get plants, what desire they have, just get some water or get some sunlight like this. <laughs> uh, survival, basically. When you get to animals, a little more desire. And we get to human beings, many, many desires. So the desires expand Unfortunately, when we get to the human being, they can take all sorts of strange forms. Uh, human beings have many more desires than animals, much more complex. Huh? So this makes this bondage even more complicated. <laughs> then uh, people may tell that soul is a real culprit, not the mind. Yeah. Because the soul. Gita Krishna says, uh, mind is difficult to control. Yes, the soul is difficult to control. And yeah, well, both. Obviously, we have to get to the soul ultimately. Huh? Uh, but uh, the, the two things operate together. Uh, we can't say you can, well, I'll control the soul, but not the mind. Let the mind do anything it wants, and I will desire it, I'll just control the soul. Uh, if we control the soul, then of course, automatically the mind should be controlled. If we control the, the, the senses and the mind, but the soul is still dedicated to material energy, that will be an impossibility, actually. Uh, so therefore, uh, we have to work on both simultaneously. 
so the process of bhakti is to convert that desire to a desire to recognize Krishna and serve Krishna. That all it converts it. The the uh, jnana and yoga try to just get rid of desire completely and not manifest desire in the atma or in the mind. Unless I experience a particular object, I can't have desire. I can't give desire before experiencing. So experience is a thing that which makes a person to have the desire again and again. Well, the two things go together. Huh? Uh, if we reach a state of Brahman, there's no objects to perceive and no desire. Two things are there. <laughs> Uh, and when the, the jivas are in Mahavishnu, then they're all very peaceful. But then, at a certain point, they start getting a little desire. And then, Mahavishnu creates all the material worlds and puts the jivas in there, and then they can fulfill those desires. Huh? Previous, 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 previous. They were in Mahavishnu and they developed the desire. Previously they were in Mahavishnu before that. Previous, previous, and after that also again. So it's like continuous process. No, no, no. It's there all the time. It's just sleeping. Like in a sleep, then your your desires are not manifested externally, but you're sleeping. Yeah. Well, uh, but we see that uh, uh, Paul came in contact or Kamsa comes in contact with Krishna. They don't become pure, but unless at the last moment they get touched by him and then they can get some purity that way. So when all the souls uh, are, uh, when the universe is dissolved, etc., in one sense, the jivas get purified. They lose their subtle body and their gross body. Their karmas, however, do not disappear. They're sit waiting for them still, <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> and they all enter Mahavishnu in a rather pure state with no subtle body, gross body, etc. But their karmas are waiting for them. Huh? And they, they sit in Mahavishnu, but then they still are Bahimukha. So at a certain point they start getting restless, and then the Lord pushes them into the material world, and they develop their subtle body, gross body desires, etc. And they get all their karmas from previous... Uh, lifetimes and universes, and then they develop again. Between the mind and the soul, the intelligence is in the middle. What are the real part of the intelligence? So the desires have to come through the intelligence and go to the mind or? Yeah, well, uh, in the material world, uh, generally they work together. Uh, the intelligence is supposed to be discriminatory. Yeah? Uh, viveka, etc., buddhi, distinguishing one thing from another. Desire is simply desire. So, um, you have many desires, then the intelligence will say, okay, which desire we're going to fulfill first? And then it'll, it'll justify reasons why we have to do this rather than that first to get this desire fulfilled rather than that. So it's a logical process to uh, filter out all the desires of the mind and then plan how to fulfill the desires. So basically, in the material world, the intelligence becomes a servant of the desires in the mind. However, we see in Bhagavad Gita, superior to the mind is the intelligence. It should act as the, uh, the guiding factor, but actually becomes the slave of the mind in many cases. So, if we go by scripture, then we get a chance to control the desires by higher intelligence using scripture, etc. So, if we accept scripture, then we can use the scriptural injunctions to, you know, uh, and get higher intelligence, and then we can begin to control the mind. Huh? But if we don't do that, then basically the mind is simply using the intelligence to fulfill its desires. In and most that's, cases, uh, uh, the mind doesn't listen to the intelligence. 
That's the problem. Well, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mind uses the intelligence only for its own purposes. Huh? So, uh, and Bhagavad Gita actually answers that question. Well, uh, how do we get out of that position where the intelligence is simply the slave of the mind? Right? It's supposed to guide it and give it good instructions, but it can't because the desires are too strong. And of course, uh, Krishna says, Kama Esha, Krodha Esha, you know, we're just under the control of desires. And the mind is controlling everything, and the intelligence is weak. Nevertheless, at the same time, he says it's higher. So, how do we get it in the proper position? Higher, so that it can do things properly. So, answer is also given, and that is higher taste. If the intelligence understands, oh, this is better than that, then we'll give up those desires. So we have to get some experience of a higher taste, then the intelligence will uh, you know, operate nicely. If you get to sattva gun, you get a higher taste because you understand a little atma. That's the higher taste. Then you can begin to control the senses. That's bad, that's bad, that's bad because it's all material and it leads us into karma, etc. Huh? On the other hand, we get the higher, higher taste, that is Krishna, and then we have a higher uh, process to control the mind by the intelligence and engage the senses in devotional service. But it, we need some sort of um, higher taste. And another way we can say it is faith. If we have faith, then we do bhakti. If we don't have faith, we don't do bhakti. That means if we don't have a higher taste for bhakti, we'll not do bhakti. <laughs> Well, obviously, the sinful desires, uh, those are forbidden things. So, therefore, you cannot dovetail those for Krishna. Everything, uh, we should do things to please Krishna. And what pleases Krishna, of course, we can have to go to scripture to see what pleases Krishna. Uh, we can't independently say, I'll do anything and it'll please Krishna <laughs> and offer it to Krishna. <laughs> do all sorts of sinful activities and I'll offer them to Krishna, <laughs> pleasing to Krishna. You can't do that. Huh? But, so we have to have some uh, guidance on understanding what is pleasing to Krishna. So Krishna says, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So that's why certain things we do, certain things we cannot do. So not that every act can be pleasing to Krishna. No desire? Without desire in the material world, no activity can take yeah. place. Then without material desires, how activity will go on in the material world? Well, they won't. They won't. They won't. So if you give up all desires, you don't do any activities. So, so the yogi sits there and no desires, no activities. But most people cannot do that. But for the common people to progress day-to-day -day survival, some desire must be needed to you know, live in the material world. Well, we limit it. So therefore we have Nishkama Karma Yoga. To, of course, even Sakama Karma Yoga limits your desires within certain parameters. You can do this, 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 and then you can get some happiness, fulfill your desire this way. When we have a desire, when we do an activity, we say that Lord created this material world, but he is not desire or interested in this material world, creation of the material world. So how do we understand this? Well, there's no desire in the material sense. Obviously he has a plan for the material world to deliver all the jivas. 
huh? but he hasn't got a desire to get some material enjoyment out of the world. So normally we have a desire. Yes, we do it to get our enjoyment. The Lord doesn't act in the same way. It's, it's not for his enjoyment or whatever in a material sense. And here it's mentioned the purport that Krishna washed the lotus feet of all those who are assembled. So it is just a matter of respect to devotees or it is because of his affection for the devotees he did this activity. Well, respect and affection go together in this sense. It's not this artificial respect. Huh? Uh, he has attraction to his devotees. Of course, the Lord respects all living entities, not just devotees. So therefore, he says, don't commit violence against any living entity. So uh, he respects all living entities. Even he respects the, the demons. He doesn't, doesn't disrespect them in any way. <laughs> um, uh, one doubt I have is that in Kharma Yoga, we say that uh, we are doing activities for Krishna, uh, for the pressure of Krishna, like action in Krishna consciousness, Kharma Yoga. So in Bhakti also, the same thing we are performing, we are doing it everything for Krishna's pressure. So I am not able to understand the difference between the two. Uh, Right. Well, in Karma Yoga, we do activities. Originally, the process of Karma Yoga is Sakama Karma Yoga. So we're not doing it for the pleasure of Krishna. We're trying to get something for ourselves. Uh, we do our activities so we can be happy in the material world. But within certain limitations, therefore, don't commit sinful activity, do this, 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 and you can be happy in the material world. Arta and Kama, basically, with Dharma. This is what is uh, the happiness in the material world. So that's the, the original goal of karma yoga. And in that, you also have to respect and worship the Lord. But it is a, not a major portion. Huh? So the, the, the activities are guiding you to get your material enjoyment. If we do nishkama karma yoga, we do the same activities, but then we start giving up the desire to get our own enjoyment in those activities. Huh? So it's not necessarily, I'm trying to please Krishna by those, all those activities. No? I'm just trying to not be, get my material uh, uh, desires fulfilled. Then a higher stage is to do Nishkama Karma Yoga and offer everything to Krishna. Huh? So you do all those activities, the results of the activities you offer to the Lord. But that's more connected with Krishna. Still, it's different from Bhakti because the original aspect of those activities was not bhakti at all. It was not related to bhakti. But we kind of modify it to uh, connect with bhakti by offering it to Krishna. Okay. So therefore we don't call it bhakti yoga. Huh? It's, uh, we can say it is uh, uh, a rope siddha bhakti. It becomes uh, spiritualized by elements of the process of bhakti. But originally, it's, it's, it's sarup, its essence is not bhakti. On the other hand, the process of bhakti includes things like hearing the name of the Lord, chanting the name of the Lord, associating with devotees of the Lord. The very uh, essence of these activities is pleasing the Lord. Not trying to enjoy in the material world or get our own happiness. It's not to get our own joy, it's to give joy to the Supreme Lord. So the very uh, foundation of all these activities is uh, serving them. It's not we do the activity, then we offer it to the Lord. Its very purpose is to please the Lord. So we don't have to artificially connect it with the Lord afterwards. It's already connected by its very performance. Huh? So that is uh, what the activities of bhakti are. Uh, then we can also 
of course, connect the activities of our life, like working, etc., in the material world. You can connect that with the Lord by offering the results to the Lord. So it's something like that, a rope siddha bhakti of karma yoga or whatever. But the main activities are quite different, and that's what we call the bhakti yoga. Thank you for the wonderful class today. My question to you is like uh, you told like higher stage we should one should get to uh, to make the intelligence work uh, like uh, intelligence guiding. Work yeah. Then how to get that higher taste? If one is not having to get the level, then how can we get the higher taste? Uh, well, a higher taste is of a different source. Higher taste for Atma is one. Higher taste for Bhakti is another one. <laughs> so to get the Atma one, generally you have to get to Sattva Gun. If you're fixed in Sattva Gun, then you realize, oh, material body useless, not satisfying. And then you begin to invest. There must be something else inside the Atma. Huh? And then you inquire Brahma Jagasa and, you know, Jnana. Huh? So it naturally develops Atma Gyan naturally develops, that higher taste naturally develops with Sattva Gun, being fixed in Sattva Gun. Bhakti does not develop like that. If it's, even if you're fixed in Sattva Gun, Bhakti may not develop. It develops by Agata Sukriti, accidental association with devotion and devotees. And then that accumulates, and then eventually the soul develops faith or Shraddha. It becomes convinced of the Supreme Lord, and it accepts the Bhakti Shastra the scriptures of bhakti. Then you can begin with shraddha. Huh? So uh, we can say that shraddha is the first taste, higher taste. Based on that, then we can begin to control the mind and the senses, etc. It seems that soul manifested desire to the mind. Yeah. So mind is the center point to do all the activities here. So it's dependent on how you are uh, utilizing the mind or engaging the mind. Mm -hmm. If mind is uh, engaged in the material activities, ultimately the soul gets uh, yeah. uh, get, uh, interrupted in this material world. If mind is engaged in spiritual activities, and soul gets liberated. Mm -hmm. And I think the monastery, you are explaining regarding this uh, the desire. Like you, Whatever desire right now we have in our mind. So this desire is like a it's because of the previous life. And we see that we can develop in this life also. In this life also there's some desire. So it's dependent on the association. Uh, largely. Yeah. Uh, association past lifetime, then association this lifetime. Huh? So through that association you modify what you previously have and it may change or modify whatever. And it may completely change also due to association. It can be association with people, association with place, etc. So the environment may change you. Uh, you're in a sattvic environment in your tamagun, then you start gradually developing sattvic tendencies. You take sattvic food, then you get more sattvic tendencies, even if you're tamasic by nature from previous lifetime. So various things in the material world can also modify your thoughts and whatever like that. But more powerful than that is association. So we associate with Tamagun people, you become Tamagun even if you're Sattva by nature. As we see with, uh, uh, which is Ajamil, he was a Brahmin, he was supposed to be Sattva, then he got associated with the, uh, he saw the, uh, the low class people, and then he became you know, uh, Tamasamic himself, whatever. So, uh, association with people also can change your desires from Sattva to Raja to Tama or whatever. It can go down or it can go up also. 
And then again, but with bhakti, you, you associate with devotees, then you can completely change your desires. So uh, desires are not fixed forever. They keep modifying and changing and developing, whatever. Well, yeah, most powerful. Right? Environment, I said environment, food, everything can help you know, involve, but... Well, primarily. Primarily. Yeah. Okay. So there are, uh, there are some secondary roles are there. Huh? Secondary. Well, like I a, a, a food, whatever like that. Huh? Uh, you take prasadam or whatever like that. Okay, good. Also, it's not devotee, but prasadam. You take prasadam life after life. Then you get faith eventually. Huh? Okay. Live in a holy dom. Eventually, you also get faith, even if you're a materialist. Huh? Various things, various aspects of bhakti. Most powerful is devotee. Most powerful influence. Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Namaste Saraswati Devi Gauravani Pacharane Nirvasesha Shunjavani Pastatadeshatadane Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadha Shivasri Gaurabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Reading from Srimad Bhavan Kanto 10 Chapter 75 Verse 31 Ekadantapore Tasya Aviksha Duryodhana Sriyam 
Atapyat Rajasuyasya. Mahit from Chaturatmanaha. Ekada, one day, Antapure, within the palace, Tasya, his, Viksha, observing, Duryodhana, Duryodhana, Shriyam, opulence, Atapyat, he was pained, Rajasuyasa, how the Rajasuya sacrifice, Mahitvam, greatness, cha, and achutatmana of him whose very soul was achuta. Translation, one day Duryodhana, while observing the riches of King Yudhisthira's palace, felt greatly disturbed by the magnificence of both the Rajas who sacrificed and his performer, the king whose life and soul was Lord Achuta. In that palace, all the collected opulences of the kings of men, demons, and gods were brilliantly manifest, having been brought there by the cosmic adventure Maya Dhanava. With those riches, Draupadi served her husbands, and Duryodhana, the prince of the Kurus, lamented because he was very much attracted to her. Lord Madhupati's thousands of queens were also staying in the palace. Their feet moved slowly, weighed down by their hips, and the bells on their feet tinkled charmingly. Their waists were very slender. The kumkum from their breasts reddened their pearl necklaces and their swaying earrings and flowing locks of hair and tans enhanced the exquisite beauty of their faces. Purposely, the prophet writes, after looking at such beauties in the palace of King Yudhisthira, Duryodhana became envious. He became especially envious and lustful upon seeing the beauty of Draupadi because he had cherished a special attraction for her from the very beginning of her marriage with the Pandavas. In the marriage selection assembly of Draupadi, uh, of Draupadi, Duryodhana, had also been present with other princes. He had been very much captivated by the beauty of Draupadi, but he had failed to achieve her. It so happened that Emperor Yudhisthira, the son of Dharma, was sitting just like Indra on a golden throne in the assembly hall built by Maya Dhanava. Present with him were his attendants and family members and also Lord Krishna, his special eye. 
displaying the opulences of Brahma himself, King Yudhisthira was being praised by court poets. Purport Sridhar Swami explains that Lord Krishna is described here as <coughs> Yudhisthira's special eye since he advised the king on what was beneficial and what was not. Proud Duryodhan, holding a sword in his hand and wearing a crown and necklace, angrily went into the palace <coughs> in the company of his brother as O King, insulting the doorkeepers as he entered. Purport Prophet writes that Duryodhan was always in an envious and angry mood and therefore on a slight provocation. He spoke sharply with the doorkeepers and became angry. Bewildered by the illusions created through Maya Danava's magic, Duryodhan mistook the solid floor for water and lifted the end of his garment. And elsewhere he fell into the water, mistaking it for a solid floor. My dear King Pariksit, Bhima laughed to see this, and so did the women, kings, and others. King Yudhisthira tried to stop them, but Lord Krishna showed his approval. Her report, Shilavishma Chakravarti mentions that King Yudhisthira tried to check the laughter by glancing at the women and Bhima, uh, Lord Krishna, however, and Bhima, Lord Krishna, however, gave approval with a gesture of his eyebrows. The Lord had come to the earth to remove the burden of wicked kings, and this incident was not unrelated to the Lord's purpose. Burning. Uh, humiliated and burning with anger, Doryodhan turned his face down, left without a word, and went back to Hastinapur. The saintly person's present loudly uh, uh, cried out, Alas, alas, and King Yudhisthira was somewhat saddened. But the Supreme Lord, whose mere glance had bewildered Duryodhan, remained silent, for his intention was to remove the burden of the earth. Purport, Sri Prabhupada writes, when Duryodhan left in such an angry mood, everyone regretted the incident, and King Yudhisthira also became very sorry. But despite all occurrences, Krishna was silent. He did not say anything against or in favor of the incident. It appeared that Duryodhana had been put into illusion by the supreme will of Lord Krishna, and this was the beginning of the enmity between the two sects of the Kuru dynasty. This appeared to be a part of Krishna's plan and his mission to decrease the burden of the world. I have now replied to your question, O King, concerning why Duryodhana was dissatisfied on the occasion of the great Rajasuya sacrifice. Thus, in the purpose of the humble servants of his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada to the 10th canto, 75th chapter of Srimad Bhavadam entitled Duryodhana Humiliated. So, uh, this concludes this particular episode. Actually, all these incidents are not in any chronological order in the uh, second part of the uh, tenth canto. There's often stories which are in different places. So this is actually an early story before the battle of Kurukshetra, <laughs> uh, before anything had happened. So this is to explain the uh, reason why the uh, war took place, or one of the reasons why the war took place. And this is because of uh, Duryodhana. Now, this time we see here, Yudhisthira had the Rajasuya sacrifice and everybody was agreeable, it looked like. So how did it happen that suddenly they had a war after that? Huh? Uh, so uh, the cause was Duryodhana. <laughs> now, there are many reasons why, but then uh, this particular incident shows 
some of the reasons. Mm -hmm. So during the Rajasuya sacrifice, uh, this particular verse states how uh, Duryodhana was looking around and he saw the great wealth uh, and beauty of that palace. Uh, and he saw the great position of Yudhisthira, how he was respected by everybody. Uh, but that was one particular reason why he developed hatred, uh, because he didn't have that. So this is what we call envy. Hmm? So envy means uh, that uh, we desire something that somebody else has, and we don't have it, so therefore we develop hatred of that person. Uh, so, the, uh, naturally, uh, Yudhisthira had everything uh, because he had the blessings of Krishna. And moreover, then he had all of these wonderful things created by Maya Dhanava, uh, which nobody else had. So, uh, therefore, very, very, in terms of what we call wealth and powers, he had extraordinary wealth and powers that nobody else had. Uh, so Eurystheus, of course, didn't really want to be a king as such, just to control people and get wealth. But Duryodhana actually had that ambition. He wanted to be supreme. He wanted to control everyone. He wanted to have all the wealth. So therefore, when he saw uh, the possessions of uh, Eurystheus and Eurystheus' position, uh, he developed great hatred for him. So. Uh, besides that, then we see that there was another cause. Uh, one, uh, several causes. One was that uh, he admired Draupadi uh, and he wanted her. So again, envy. Uh, the Pandavas got Draupadi, he didn't get. So therefore, he was very uh, angry about that. And then, as mentioned, even the queens were very, Krishna's queens were very attractive. Huh? So, again, a, a source of envy. <laughs> and then, finally, uh, this incident with the, where they laughed at him. Uh, because he was thinking the uh, water was dry land and, and the dry land was water. Not a very big thing in one sense. Uh, but uh, he was very proud so when he made that mistake, it was a real, uh, it was really humiliating for him, huh? because he was fooled completely, uh, and he thought himself most intelligent. But yet, he was fooled by this special uh, illusion created by Maya Dhanava, huh? and moreover, they laughed at him. So that created a worse uh, problem for him. Uh, he felt even more humiliated and shamed by that and particularly because the women were laughing and Bhima was laughing also. So, very, very uh, humiliated by all of this. Huh? Huh? So this became a cause of great hatred on his part. So though at this time in the Rajasuya sacrifice, uh, no one except Shishupala had protested anything and then uh, Shishupala was particularly protesting Krishna and then Krishna chopped off his head. Uh, so the sacrifice went on very nicely. Uh, but the result of the sacrifice is Duryodhana developed more envy than previously. It's not that this was the only cause. We see previously so many incidents took place where he had tried to kill Bhima and others and kill them 
um, burn them down the house of lack and whatever like that so definitely he was not innocent previously he was also duplicitous previously but this was a, a, a further incident at this point to uh, incite him to uh, fight with the, and try to defeat the Pandavas huh? so uh, this was uh, um, uh, an incident which then provoked further incident then we have the gambling match etc so many things take place and then finally uh, we get the battle of Kurukshetra in which uh, finally all of the Kurus including Duryodhana were annihilated so uh, here it explains how uh, Krishna was neutral in this case hmm. the women and Bhima laughed and Yudhisthira said stop 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 <laughs> he, did, he didn't want to uh, make uh, Duryodhana humiliated uh, so he was very kind to him but Krishna didn't do anything <laughs> uh, so he, did he approve it or not approve it it was hard to say he didn't laugh but at the same time he didn't say anything when they did laugh so a little difficult to understand what he was thinking uh, so in one sense he couldn't be blamed but because he didn't do anything therefore one could also blame him as well so uh, as explained in the purports actually he had another intention here that it looked as if uh, this was Krishna's plan uh, that uh, there would be no peace and that ultimately Duryodhana would provoke war and ultimately get destroyed by that huh? otherwise uh, if there was no provocation and then the Pandavas had no need to harass Duryodhana and they would have left him there if he had been quiet huh? but because he provoked the war then they were forced to fight as we see in Bhagavad Gita Arjuna actually didn't want to fight huh? but they were provoked into fighting and then they had to fight because that was the will of Krishna and then the will meant that they were all all the uh, Kurus were destroyed so in other words this was the ultimate plan of Krishna that the everyone was acting as his instrument to bring about the purification of the earth and restoration of Dharma and putting uh, Yudhisthira on the throne so this the way in which uh, here Krishna was neutral and he didn't do anything is a, a sign that uh, uh, he knew the uh, ultimate result of all that was going to happen here and he didn't prevent it because it was his desire uh, and his mission to uh, restore Dharma and uh, destroy the miscreants all of the uh, people who are following a Dharma uh, so uh, though uh, the, the the incident uh, looked a little trivial here uh, it led uh, to uh, the finally to the war eventually uh, so uh, we see here how um, small details or what what may look small for us may be very significant for another person uh, and that they will uh, hold it against the person to such an extent here we see that Duryodhana actually provoked the whole war and caused the death of so many millions of people simply because of this one little incident here or whatever like that so uh, uh, we cannot always predict how people will react to certain incidences or uh, circumstances uh, 
uh, we may not think uh, anything of these circumstances, but another person will take them as very, very significant and it will affect their whole life. Uh, so that, of course, is there for uh, people in the material world uh, due to their uh, conditioned nature and their previous impressions and likes and dislikes and whatever. Uh, they will respond in the most unusual ways to circumstances even beyond what looks like the normal response because of their uh, conditioning and they may get very very upset by certain conditions so uh, uh, this is the case here of uh, Duryodhan we see on the other hand that a person who is advanced in spiritual life is not affected by the material circumstances so even if he is criticized or condemned or attacked or whatever he does not feel anything and if he is praised also he does not feel anything huh? Huh? so this is described by Krishna in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita he's called the, the Pragya he is very very steady and calm uh, so that is a result of uh, uh, some advancement in uh, spiritual knowledge. Uh, that's on the level of jnana. If we understand we're the Atman, we're not the body, then we have nothing to do with the material conditions of the body or what anyone does to the body. Uh, so we become indifferent to it. But here we see quite opposite reaction. Uh, nothing really happened to him physically, but he felt insulted. And he was envious. So therefore, this caused a lot of problem for him, a bit, very big disturbance. And so disturbing that ultimately he went to war. Huh? So, uh, therefore, he was not a sit-pragya. He was not equipoised in all situations. <laughs> this is one little incident was enough to provoke him and become very disturbed. And of course, it went over many years. It wasn't immediately the war took place, but many, many years, but it kept... It kept growing and growing and growing that that uh, feeling of hatred. Huh? Uh, so, uh, therefore, the uh, the wise person has to uh, rise above all these uh, desires and hatreds of the mind and a response to immediate circumstances. Huh? Uh, as for the devotees, of course. They are superior to the ganis and the yogis who can reach the state of being equipoised, stitta pragya, etc. So, then naturally, the devotee should also be uh, neutral or equipoised in all these different situations. They do not panic or become overcome with emotion. There may be cause for uh, lamentation, grief, excitement, joy, or whatever, but if he's an advanced devotee, then he will not be affected by these things. He will be very, very peaceful, just as the, the Ganyi or the Yogi is. However, also there is some difference because uh, uh, the devotee is different from the Ganyi and Yogi, and that is that he has a relationship with the Supreme Lord. So in some circumstances, the devotee may get disturbed. For the Brahmavadi, no, no disturbance, because nothing. Huh? However, uh, the devotee may get disturbed. Uh, why? 
uh, if there is some offense against the Lord or the other devotees of the Lord, then he will get disturbed. <laughs> so that he's not so equal poised in those conditions. Huh? So we saw how the uh, when uh, Shishupal began insulting Krishna, then all the uh, Pandavas they became very disturbed and they were going to raise their swords up. Huh? They were not so equal poised after all. But again, okay, nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's all in relation to Krishna, Supreme Lord. Huh? So we see there are often um, what we call the secondary rasas and the vibhichari uh, bhavas, which arise because of the primary relationship with the Lord and friendship or dasya or whatever in prema, relationships in prema. As a result of that, if somebody attacks a demon, then the devotee hates the demon. He gets angry at the demon. Uh, uh, he may get, get very, very angry. As we see someone like Bhima will become very angry. Uh, so, but that is not the same as the anger in the material world or the uh, hatred that uh, Duryodhana has for the Pandavas. Looks similar, but it's the opposite because it's related to Supreme Lord, a favorable relationship with the Supreme Lord that causes the devotee to develop anger towards those who attack the Lord or criticize the Lord. Uh, so it is a, a spiritual emotion, uh, not a material emotion at all. Hmm? The practicer of Gana may criticize, oh, devotees are becoming all disturbed. <laughs> Why does Hanuman have to go out and fight like that? Uh, so, no, uh, it is spiritual, it's not material at all. But those who are uh, too involved in Gana and yoga may not understand this. So therefore, they won't be attracted to such displays uh, among the devotees. They're too emotional. They haven't reached the state of Siddha Pragya or whatever. Huh? So, uh, but it's quite different actually. It's not the same as material emotions at all. Huh? So that we should understand in relation to this story. So uh, Duryodhana's reactions here are completely material and therefore subject to criticism, uh, envy, hatred, anger, etc. Uh, just like Sushupa. Huh? The uh, uh, devotees of the Lord, on the other hand, when they become uh, disturbed and angry or whatever, uh, it's all because of the relationship with Krishna only. And those bhavas do not arise from uh, material motivation or hunkar or anything. Huh? Uh, it arises from relationship with the Supreme Lord. So they cannot be criticized for those uh, displays that they have. Huh? Uh, so, uh, here, this is uh, to be criticized, this uh, envy and hatred that arose in uh, Duryodhana. Uh, uh, he was envious of Krishna, he was envious of the devotees of Krishna. Uh, so that was not just a bad material quality, it's actually a broad offense. Uh, so we know that offense means hostility uh, towards uh, the Lord or towards the devotees of the Lord or towards the process of bhakti that that constitutes offense or aparad hmm. so here he developed he already had uh, enmity with Krishna and here he has growing enmity uh, for the Pandavas including Yudhisthira uh, and simply ignited by this incident in the palace uh, uh, so uh, 
to be condemned. And uh, in a big way. Because Duryodhan uh, was supposed to be a leader. He was leading the whole Kuru dynasty. Since Dhritarashtra was old and blind, etc., so he became the natural leader of that whole uh, group of people. Uh, but yet he showed all of these uh, offensive qualities. Hmm? So, this is very dangerous. Huh? A leader with all the offensive qualities, and not only a dharma in the sense of evil activities, but also complete rejection of the Supreme Lord and hatred of the devotees. And then, uh, this uh, is a very uh, dangerous position. And therefore, he had to be annihilated, ultimately. Uh, so, as previously mentioned, Doryodhana was a personification of Kali, which means most evil. So, uh, there are many, many evil persons there, but it all seemed to concentrate on Duryodhana. Huh? And so, that's why this incident is mentioned. This uh, provoked him, and then he eventually provoked the whole war. Because of him, the whole war took place, and because of that, then war took place, and... Krishna annihilated him finally. In that way, the, uh, his job was finished and Adharma was uh, annihilated finally and Dharma was established. Krishna put Duryodhana the illusion. So that means Krishna is a cosmic swan here. Hmm? He wanted one. Krishna is a cause for the world because he put within the illusion because of the Buddha became humiliated and he became angry. Well, at least he did not prevent it and, and he did not, uh, uh, like Yudhisthira was trying to stop them from doing that, but Krishna was neutral. So, in that sense, he permitted it to happen or whatever and he did not try to enlighten Duryodhana or whatever like that. Uh, of course, we cannot say that, okay, it's all Krishna's yoga maya acting and Duryodhana's not to blame. We cannot say that either. Because obviously we know that uh, his uh, hatred of Yudhisthira and the Pandavas and uh, Krishna was his nature also. It was not just an illusion that Krishna had created. Huh? Well, we can say that Krishna allowed this to happen in a certain way, made his own arrangements. He uh, encouraged the events in this way also. So he's using here Duryodhana as an instrument to remove the burden. Well, he is the burden also. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Duryodhana is but, uh, the burden. And yeah, and how, uh, by, through him, then he just uh, he killed all the other uh, evil kings as well. So he's actually the instrument also for removing in one sense. Yeah. And once you explain regarding this uh, devotee should not be disturbed by, uh, for, for themselves and they should be disturbed by others. Correct? And if something happened related to the Lord, but sometimes see, as a sadhaka, sometimes when there is something irregularly happen, when someone uh, doesn't maintain the discipline, basic discipline, this time we see that devotees may get disturbed. So how to take up this? Well, we don't have to become disturbed by that, but we have to understand that people need correction. Huh? 
So we go about and correct them without being overly emotional about it. That's all. We don't have to become angry or whatever. We just try to correct the situation in order to create a better spiritual atmosphere. I mean, because he's trying to create peace, why didn't he try to pacify? Yeah, he, he already knew it, but how do you understand his past time? His past attention. As an ambassador. Well, he has uh, two missions. One is to create peace and establish dharma. The other is to destroy a dharma. And so, uh, one thing he can do is he can take the adharmic people and try to convert them, <laughs> make them dharmic. <laughs> but that also doesn't work sometimes because many of them would not change. Like uh, So those ones he killed, some of them changed, like uh, Shishupala. So therefore, he went to the spiritual world. <laughs> but uh, most times, like uh, Jarasandha didn't change or whatever like that. So he killed them. Uh, uh, so uh, he acts as a peacemaker, but in, in the... Uh, the Lord, uh, in, in the process of making peace and restoring Dharma, sometimes he has to annihilate the Adharmic people also. So it's not completely peaceful. <laughs> There's sometimes killing involved also in this particular case. Uh, so, uh, uh, of course, the Lord is also the best judge. So he knows the people that have to be annihilated. And therefore, he gathered them all on the battle of Kurukshetra, and all those that deserved to go were finished. <laughs> and those that were on the other side, those are the ones that should stay. So that was his plan ultimately. So after a certain point, of course, Krishna did not kill any more demons. And he felt his job was more or less successful for that particular time. But we know that uh, this process of annihilating demons is never complete, and then. Kali Yuga started, and then again we get more demons coming up, but Krishna had already disappeared. Uh, so, uh, the process is never complete, but Krishna came because the, of the uh, request of the devatas to do something in that particular situation. So he got rid of the immediate problem at that time. That's all. Uh, to do that, he had to kill many of the demons. In Sirimala's uh, opulence was greater than even having Indra's opulence. Mm -hmm. So how to understand this? Because that means that... Uh, well, if you've got the blessings of Krishna, you can get more than more than the devatas, more than Brahma, anybody in the material world, because it's equal to the spiritual world. Well, it's equal to the spiritual world, which has more opulence than uh, Brahma-loka. Huh? Vaikuntha has more opulence than Brahma-loka. So therefore, if you're a devotee of the Lord, you can get more than what's on Brahmaloka, which is material, by the way, whereas this is spiritual. <laughs> so uh, it, it's not subject limitation like the material world, and it's more surprising and, uh, let's say, uh, remarkable and more beautiful and full of cities, which the things in the material world aren't. Huh? 